0: to the next level my name is brian daniels i'm with my lovely wife raven we've got josh shaver with us here and we have a very very special guest with us here today we got mr walter day walter it's good to see you how you doing man
1: i'm doing great i'm honored to be on your show so thank you very much uh and uh how long have you been doing this show we've actually been doing this show since april this show this this show
0: this show uh, we did this was a this is a show that stemmed from an old show that we did called the Dragon Cast uh, that had been going on for like almost ten years. So, really? so yeah, yeah.
1: Called oh, the Dragon Cast because somehow you're connected to
0: DragonCon. Uh, not DragonCon. No, it was a it was a website called Dragon Blogger. That's why. Okay. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's honored to have Walter Day on the show with us. Um, we just they just celebrated. You guys just celebrated. The 41st anniversary of Twin Galaxies, man, I can't believe it's been that long already. And uh, we're glad to have you here on the show with us, and uh, got the uh, the official referee of, of of video games here. And uh, yeah. Walter, let's let's get into this, man. So, I want to talk about uh, what made you want to get into the arcade business to begin with.
1: Well, I was an oil broker in Houston, Texas in 1980, and we were working on an actual reference book. It was, a, it was called Days, named after me because I was the founder of it. Days, who's who in the petroleum industry? And the guy who's my investor and co-worker on it one night said, boy, I can't look at these biographies anymore. You know, looking at oil executive biographies. i got to go play, play space invaders. And my eye oh. went up, I'd never heard of space invaders. And he said, what the heck is that? So he <laughs> took me to an arcade that night and I walked in there, and it was a big, it was Malibu Grand Prix. This was Houston, June nineteen eighty or May nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with video games immediately, and I opened an arcade as an excuse to be able to play more video games. <laughs> okay,
0: that's <laughs> that's a great that's, excuse. That is, that's a wonderful excuse. That's
1: yeah. at the age of thirty-two years old, I'd be up to two in the morning going head to head against the sixteen-year-old.
2: <laughs> that's fantastic. I love yeah.
1: That. Did you have a,
0: uh, outside of Space Invader, did you have a particular favorite arcade game that you played a lot more?
1: Well, I played a lot of Centipede, and I played a lot of Pac-Man.
0: Oh, two great. Those are two great games.
1: But the one that is best at, that actually held the world record for a while, was called Make Tracks by Williams Electronics. Oh, really? Okay. It was a paintbrush painting a maze. Oh, that's okay. that's
0: really cool. Oh, I have never heard of that. Yeah, I don't Me think I've either, heard of that yeah. one. That's, that's pretty cool that's pretty fantastic. Now I know in, in, at Twin Galaxies, uh, it's, it's in odd, it was in Ottawa, Iowa, Atomwa, Atomwa, Atomwa sorry. Atomwa. And, um, you guys had a, a string of like guys come in. Um, of course, Billy Mitchell. I know a lot of people know of Billy Mitchell. I've had the pleasure uh, Raven Raven. I've had the pleasure of meeting Billy Mitchell when we met, when we met you Walter, uh, back in 2019 at Gen Con. And, uh, how I first got to know uh, Walter or first heard about Walter was there was this documentary called the King of Kong fistful of quarters. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that maybe how a lot of other people that hadn't already uh, maybe knew you at the time um, kind of got to know you from that as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what was it like um, seeing the competitive arcade um, scene just really take off at that time? What was that like for you to experience that? Um, you know, especially having, been at this uh, mecca of an arcade that we all have come to know?
1: Well, well, first of all, it was huge. Video game playing was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, There were like, there were like probably 75,000 arcades in America. It could have been way more. It's, yeah. I don't think anybody ever knew a number. And uh, the thing that was interesting was that on the, the January 18th, 1982 edition of Time Magazine, had a video game cover story. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about the incredible burgeoning growth of, of, of the popularity of video games mm-hmm. taking over the world and how this newfangled technology <laughs> is winning the hearts and minds of youth everywhere. But not only that, adults everywhere too. Yes. for like, yeah. Twin Galaxies is running. We have people who are in the 30s and 40s and three-piece businesses coming up instead of eating a normal lunch they'd come and play pac-man or donkey kong right very very interesting and uh but in that article was a feature box about a kid named steve jurassic who i think was 16 years old and he got like a a 14 hour score on defender on one quarter and someone came up to me someone came up to me in the arcade and said i can beat that score in the magazine i said what magazine magazine showed me the story and I didn't believe it could beat him because this clearly was a national phenomenon. This kid had done this quarter, this this 15, 14 hours in one quarter. He says, uh-huh. no, "I can beat that." And so I allowed him. in that weekend, he went 24, 25 hours. They can over remember. It was either 24 million and 25 hours, or it's 25 million and 24 hours. I can't remember which was this. But <laughs> but, it's, but essentially, uh, what was interesting. The phenomenon that developed out of that was that suddenly I called up the radio station, and they got so intensely interested they came over and started broadcasting live. from from The score got higher and higher all night. Wow. All the newspaper. They came over and they started covering it. I called up the TV station. They came over and started covering it. But then it got really strange. I started getting phone calls from TV stations in St. Louis, Kansas City, in Peoria, Illinois. It turned into a regional, if not a national, story. In other words, I discovered that was a big deal: man versus machine. <laughs> yep. Kids, yeah, firsthand. These kids picking on these newfangled geniuses of computer stuff, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, so uh, on uh, Monday morning, after the weekend was over, I called Williams Electronics and said, "Look what we did! Is this the new world record?" And they said, "We don't know." No one keeps track of the scores. We have no idea. And everybody, people call every single day wanting to know what the record is. But we don't know because there's nobody keeping track of the scores. So I was intrigued by that. So I called up that morning seven manufacturers, including Universal and Exidy and Stern and Nintendo and uh, Atari, Midway. And yeah. asked them all the same questions. And they said, we don't know. No one keeps track of the scores. And then I called up Replay Magazine and Play Meter Magazine the two calling up magazines of the video game era back then. Right. They both said we get called every day, but no one keeps track of the scores. We don't know. Oh, my so God. I thought, so I thought of that overnight. The next day I called back all nine of those phone numbers have called and told them, we got a scoreboard here. We're keeping track of the scores. And through some miracle of divine fate, karma, all nine said, no one challenged. Us. They all said, this is incredible. They embraced us and said, okay. We're going to put your name and number right here at our front Rolodex. When people call, we're going to refer them to you. All nine of them said this. Oh,
2: my gosh. That's oh, insane. wow.
1: <laughs> but, it's your problem now. It was, it was written. It was written, and like you said, it was our problem now. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and so it was. They so made so, it so. <laughs> asked me, well, who are you? And off uh, the top of my head, I said, oh, we're the Twin Galaxies National Scoreboard. Just right off the top of You the just
0: you just pull that out I of the head
1: Mike. I love that. <laughs> <how> are. <laughs> yeah. And and I went back to playing Gorf, which was what my favorite game that day. That's I love Gorf. That's a really good one. Yeah that's a good Suddenly, one. Suddenly 30 minutes later one of the atri- arcade attendants tapped me on the shoulder and so said someone on the phone and they're they're, 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 they're they're talking about a high score. So I went to the phone and it was a kid named Casey Murphy from Goodlitzville, Tennessee. Who right after I called Midway, they called up Midway and wanted to know what the record was on Gallagher. And they said all excitedly, Oh, wait, we have a number you can call now. And they called and asked for me. And and I look up uh, I looked up on our board and saw that our night attendant had a high score on Gallagher that's slightly higher than his. So I said in a very, very serious, solemn voice, I said, You sir, have the second highest score in the world. <laughs> Man, that's, that's so great. awesome. He got sorts <laughs> So excited, I said, oh, I can beat that, I can beat that. And the next day he called up with a higher score. So within a week, we we're getting like, I don't know, I'm, I'm making numbers. All I know is that it exponentially grew. Within a week, we're getting eight, 10 phone calls, phone calls, 10 phone calls. And within months, we're getting 30, 40 letters a day until eventually it started reaching, maybe it eventually got to a hundred. I've said that numerous times, but you know, it became incalculable but who knows for sure. But essentially we became overnight the world's most famous arcade we became the crossroads of the video game page we became the mecca we became yeah. the city of video games that is
0: that is just a, a, an amazing story crazy, I, yeah. I i, literally I yeah that's crazy and it's funny you mentioned galaga that's my favorite game and i i've even submitted scores before to various places and stuff so that's that's really that's really cool that you became basically like the godfather of scores of stats uh, you know things like that and mm. having people call and i'm reading here it says you guys were getting up to set 50 to 75 phone calls a day how did you guys how did you guys manage that cuz i know
1: i know uh, i was i was that we didn't manage it it was overwhelming it was, yeah. a, it was <laughs> i'm sure yeah it's something that no one amount its something that no amount of intelligence could have calculated or created it was completely the forces of nature just like a river will flow down through its will flow down through all the declivities finding its way to the ocean it was a big force of nature it was the need of the times and it just somehow decided to flow out through me and twin galaxies and yeah. so it's larger than life bigger than real and well, what's interesting, and this is why it's a legitimate claim for Twin Galaxies being the historic birthplace of organized organized competitive esports. Well, first of all, be aware that we didn't invent video game playing. We right. didn't invent video games. We didn't invent video game competition because in every single, all 75,000 arcades, everybody was in a uproar, hysterically trying to be the top score on dozens of score on dozens and dozens of different games right and when they get the high score they'd be the high score on that game for that arcade
0: right having no
1: idea how they stood with the rest of the world and then when the game got moved out because games would get rotated because of financial needs they go to a place where they start making more money when they're placed in a different location the game the score could be all wiped off and there'd be no record of it when the arcade closed would being a regular so in other words, it was like drawing a line of water. All the accomplishments led to nothing and ended up being worth nothing. But when Twin Galaxies came into existence, they united all the arcades into a global esports arena so that when you played under the correct rules, under the correct game settings, and followed the proper protocol for submissions and for verification, your score could be compared to every other person on the same game around the world, submitting to the Twin Galaxies, which led to the creation of rules, a rule book, standards of operation, also procedures right. and leaderboards. And with that, we were able to crown the champions and recognize who the world champions were. This was the invention and the beginning of organized, competitive esports the first esports organization in history and uh and uh so essentially uh uh thereby hangs the tale of twin galaxies it's the the original there's a big bronze plaque weigh about 225 30 pounds posted on, on the outside of the wall of the original building of twin galaxies it says yeah. twin galaxies the historic birthplace of organized competitive esports Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've I've got I've got I'm yes. friends with I'm friends with a few people that have um have visited there like Doc Mac I know he's been there a few times I've seen some I've seen some pictures of him he's the guy who owns Galloping Ghost Arcade uh in Illinois but I I want to ask about you since you guys didn't really have what was it like figuring out the rules and getting it down to okay.
1: Yeah. And I, I, yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? Still? Yes. I can't hear background noise, can you? A little bit. <laughs> it's not bothering the reporting. is it? <laughs> Okay. There we go. You're good. But
0: yeah, what was what was that like? Getting the uh, figuring out the rules and the, you know, getting it down to where these are the exact rules for. Each game. What was that What was that process like? How to figure that out?
1: I had to rely on a huge board of experts. Uh, the players themselves, the players would know that the players would have the most wisdom over each game. And by pulling it all together from the players, we're able to develop the rule book. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. By doing contests, we'd work out bugs, work out glitches, work out cheats, find out what right. you can do and can't do, and also begin to get a sense for what a but still, it was, a, it was an interesting growth process because at first we were relying on people photographing the final score on the screen and having an affidavit signed by the arcade owner and by witnesses. But that didn't work and we found out pretty fast that that didn't work because the arcade owners, many arcades were going under financial duress mm. and so they were hoping that having a world champion at their place would get attention to them, which it would and bring attention publicity and be right. advertising to help bring more people in the door. So the arcade owners really couldn't be relied on because they had a vested interest in claiming a world record. And also more and more people would be unmasked as being lying and cheating and stuff like that. Because later on, we had to do more contests in person live so that people performed in front of us under our authorized settings. And then eventually in the more modern era, they had to start sending in videotapes. And even then videotapes could be falsified. So right, it was a very, very, very difficult thing, and to the very end, uh, many scores eventually became unmasked as not being possible because people misled us. But uh, part of that was my problem because I was so extremely trusting. I couldn't believe someone would lie about a video game score. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so almost like a pointless, pointless accomplishment. My of course. Right. Yeah, I'm
2: the same way there. I- I can't even imagine like some of the things that you know people say that they come up with. I'm just like,
0: yeah. I would never well, even
1: have thought of that.
0: Yeah. Well, did you ever get one that you were just like, no way? There's no way you got this score on this game.
1: Oh, I think one kid, one clip, one 15 year old kid claimed 22 million on Gore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Ken. <laughs> well, it's like I play that game enough; I know better. Like <laughs> that's that's yeah. crazy, man. Like that's that's. Uh, now I know you guys. I believe it was like in 1983. You guys started working with Guinness World Records. Right. How how did that how did that relationship start? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? What was that about?
1: I kept petitioning them the 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 the, the, the publisher stuff, and they recognized minigame scores and they reviewed what i did and they determined that what i did was reliable and they trusted me personally and they yeah. made an assistant editor in front of i was there, i was called an assistant editor in charge of video game scores oh and wow in of 83 i did the first contest and submitted verified scores that were done in front of me and it appeared in the 84 book and so in the 84 85 86 and i think 87 books carried video game scores that came uh, the first three years came from my efforts, and then the fourth year came from the US national video game team because I retired for some years. And the US video game team carried on. Wow. That's I bet that I
0: that's 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 a very cool thing to have is like mm-hmm. to get that recognition from Guinness to so just to you know. trust you like that. Yeah.
1: Well Guinness just gave me an award just just on September sixteenth that, that recognized me as the father the Father of Esports, that's what it said. That's awesome yeah. That's well, absolutely too, awesome
2: i know later on and uh, i think it was i read 2008 um they actually came out with their very first uh gamers edition of guinness world records mm-hmm. that was pretty much inspired by you and your work and you know long time work in the video game
1: here's the story on that not too many people know the actual story so here's the story oh okay. here we go i convinced them see then they in 86 they stopped, at the end of 86, they stopped running scores. And mm-hmm. they didn't run scores again because I thought it was too difficult and too questionable. And they didn't right. run scores again until I kept petitioning them around 2000, and 2001 and 2003. Mm-hmm. Finally, in 2006, they decided to do, I think it was either two pages or four pages on video games and I think it had eighty-seven, 87 different records, and wow. I, think, I think I personally wrote the text for eighty of them. Eighty of the record. Oh wow! And so they, they they came out. I think it was the two thousand and six edition, with four pages. I think it was eighty-seven records, and the and the text and the text was for written. I think by about 80 of the person word for word. Wow! And, so, oh, and, and when the book came out and they saw it. And also I got them to do a two-page thing on pinball for the first time ever. And I think it was the awesome. I don't think they ever did it again. Mm-hmm. But it but it was very successful. And but the four-page thing when it came out, I called up Craig Glenday, the editor in chief, who's still the editor in chief, he's the one uh-huh. who won the Esports Father Award on September 16th. And I said, Look, this looks incredible. Why don't we take all my stuff and turn it into its whole own book? And you and I will co-publish it. And he said, that sounds really interesting. Let yeah. me talk to them and see what they think. And so he says, there's a lot of interest here. And then he called me back. There's a lot of interest here. And he said, <laughs> he said we could become partners on this and blah, blah, blah. And uh-huh. we could apply the content, we would do the, 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 the publishing and everything like that. Uh-huh. And so then he began to say that we had, his, we had a focus group. And the focus group has determined that this would be more successful than the regular book. So we're really interested in this and then later later on apparently what happened it's eight o'clock well it's eight o'clock so <laughs> so what happened later on is uh is this is this i i, I begin to send them lots and lots of emails specking out this id and illustrating this id and defining this id and we could do this we could have this kind of layout tons and tons of stuff which they embraced and loved and then at some point, the business people there mm-hmm. usurped him and said, we're not going to have him as a business partner. We don't do that. We're not going to share the, the, the profits with him. We'll pay him a $1,000 just for his book. And so instead of me being their business partner, they wanted to pay me a thousand. So, And they took the book and they went and published it. But Craig and, and, and I was essentially not a part of it, except that Craig Lindegh felt so indebted to me that they did two spreads on me and Twin Galaxies personally, right. in, in recognition of backed up Twin Galaxies, me, right. and inspired mm-hmm. the creation of the book. So so Craig Glenday knows that. He knows that Guinness kind of like ran away with the whole project, but that's okay. They did a good job. They did a better job than I would have done, I think. Right? Who knows? Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I've never yeah, told the story before. I'm very friendly with Greg Lindsay and I don't call them on the carpet about it. <laughs> well, we thank you for sharing that with us for sure. Yeah, that's
0: that's an interesting, that's interesting. story that I would have mm-hmm. never I remember when that when Great. that came out. Yeah. I I thought oh, it was yeah. cool.
1: Uh, you know, I, I don't think at any ill will about them. I ex actually think they did a commonsensical sure. common business decision and that's yeah. went and I'm okay with it. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That's um yeah that's that's interesting I I never would have thought about that mm-hmm. I mean that's that's I remember that when that first came out I thought that was really cool seeing that at stores and stuff and yeah I because um I do remember I, have when, it. I do remember when Guinness did a few scores before they had the uh, gamers edition come out but um yeah that's that's a that's a cool story thanks for sharing that with us Walter we appreciate that let's talk about let's 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 divvy away from games for a minute we want to talk about your uh your piano career <laughs> absolutely we do yeah tell us about this this ragtime piano career you were doing this like
1: the ragtime piano career from 73 up to 83 <laughs> i used to be able to play this 38 different piano rags completely professional exactly like you hear on the records i That's used awesome. to get performances i loved it and i regret the fact that I let it all fall to the wayside and i can't play any of the songs anymore
0: oh man oh man that's cool though i I, yeah. I always have a lot of respect for people who do music and things like that oh, yeah. and to be able to mm-hmm. play that especially ragtime music i know that can know, be kind of hard really cool. that can be a little difficult too but yeah that's
2: now are that's you cool, involved man. in any type of music uh playing instruments or-
1: uh, in a few days i go into the music studio and record again i'm working on popular music that's my own music that
2: I, uh, that's awesome now, nice sing as well
1: Oh yeah. Well, I'm taking vocal lessons right now. I'm not a very good singer, but I'm determined to sing. So hey, there me. you go. There you go.
2: You have a lot of determination. Just mm-hmm. just um, the stories that you've told us. I mean, that is very apparent. So I have no doubt that you'll be able to do this. Either. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say. I mean, if anybody right. watching this this can already tell, Walter's a pretty yeah. dang determined person. I mean, you, right. uh, you. I mean, for as much as you kind of petition you, you petitioned Guinness, and they were just like, okay, fine. <laughs> like okay yeah. all right all right <laughs> you know but yeah i mean you just you just um that's what i love about you and, and reading about your stories and stuff is that you didn't stop mm-hmm. you you kept going you didn't let and i'm sure you probably faced a lot of opposition even then because oh, yeah. i mean you know uh i know when we think of esports now i know esports has has significantly evolved over the years since the right the 80s i mean now you have full-on uh, arenas, I mean, I want to ask you about that, too. What's it like for you to see, being as someone who started the, the whole esports thing, what's it like now to see just all these people, these younger people, getting at these big arenas and the Korean these, Dota circuit, these, these sponsorships and these massive amounts of money that they make, too, doing this kind of stuff? What's that? What's that like for you now to see that?
1: Well, first of all, the video game players that were in that Life magazine photograph that just celebrated its 40th anniversary a week yes. ago. Um, all of those players believed in the future of esports, mm-hmm. they wanted to be esports superstars. They were for that era, but they wanted mm. that they wanted the, the lifestyle and the opportunity that is present now for the current generation. It's just that they were born like two generations too soon, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they did in it and they fervently wanted it and they were going to do it and they embraced it and it would have been incredible, but they were just way before technology. Because the technology, the technology is what made it happen. Because once yes. the technology was there so that any player could play any other player in the world and also the process of it happening could be monetized by sponsors because uh uh because you can you, you can get your ad in front of a lot of people and you can also verify how many people are clicking through to your ad and clicking or so that so that you know when you place an ad in the newspaper you, you it's hit or miss you don't know what's going to happen but honestly, <laughs> right. you can verify and monetize and, and attract the success and the placement of all your ads and all your investment so therefore uh, and as the base of people grew larger and larger who were online playing games, it became more and more lucrative and attractive. And big sponsors put money up for contests for tournaments super leagues.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that. You're right about that. I mean, the technology has come a long way. Um, uh, man, <laughs> such a long way. Um, I mean, now you have people, we went from going, you know, having to go to a physical location to play arcade games and now people don't even have to and i'm, I'm more old school in that sense yeah, you, you know like i i love arcades i've always loved arcades we have a few arcades by where we live i i you know i know that for a long time there was uh, there was a big falling out with arcades you Ooh. know as far as uh there was a lull of them you know where you just they, just, they were closing and they weren't yeah. as um, prominent. And now they're kind of on a reemergence now, especially with um, the the barcade bar scene, you know, especially uh, helping reemerge those and having them come back. And uh, for me, you know, b- being a competitive player myself, mm-hmm. uh, it's always been I, you know, I, I grew up in an era of in the era of arcades. And it was just, you know, that feeling of slamming slamming a stack of quarters down and, like, saying I got next and yeah. all that. I mean, there was yeah. <laughs> just nothing like that. And, um, you know, it's somewhat that way now if you can go to arcade now. You know, there's some places that do that still. But, man, it was nothing like that be, when it was back in the 80s and stuff and even growing up in yeah. the 90s going to arcades and stuff like that. was just crazy. Oh, yeah. And I prefer I prefer face-to-face. <laughs> Me, personally, I prefer being next to my opponent. Mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, um, and I, and I missed the crowd. So I bet, I bet that was a thing too, man. When you were running Twin Galaxies, then just seeing the crowds of young people around all of these machines. I mean, um, you know, what was it like for the parents too of these kids, like having those kids come in? I mean, were you, were you involved with any of the parents too? Like, as far as that whole.
1: Oh yeah. The parents, the parents were, it was a mixed bag, you know. Some parents didn't approve of it, and other parents <laughs> thought it was okay because they recognized the Twin Galaxies as a clean, safe place, so they didn't have any problems with it. That's and good. The yeah. Parents also played the games themselves. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: That's yeah, pretty cool. That makes cool. a lot of sense. Um, what, what's interesting is today, amongst modern young East they think that e- that video game playing as a spectator sport is brand new. Actually, the spirit of spectator sport has been alive from the very beginning. Yeah. If, someone, if someone put a quarter in a Donkey Kong machine and they played it on a real high level, a crowd would be around them. If someone played Ms. man on a high level, a crowd would go around them. People mm-hmm. were in love with watching excellence in video game play. People were hypnotized by excellence in performance. And so if the technology had been available, for Billy Mitchell to do his world records on Donkey Kong or Pac-Man way back in 1982, 75,000 arcades would have signed up, and there would have been a crowd watching in each one. Of them. Oh yeah, because the oh, love watching video game played on a video games performed on a highest level is a love that's not new. It's ingrained in the actual historical baseline of video game play. Yep.
2: that's very true. Yep, I remember. I mean, I wasn't allowed to go to arcades very much, um, but when i did my parents were with me or my mom was with me so but i remember standing around and watching you know like the older kids play and you know and stuff and it was yeah i mean that's that's always been that way
0: yeah yeah for sure i mean you know um i i didn't uh really get into playing arcade machines until you know i, I first played Galaga when my mom took me to a laundromat and they had mm-hmm. some they had some uh, arcade machines there, and Galaga was one of the first arcade games I ever played. Yeah, and I still love that game to mm-hmm. this day. I mean, and that's the thing about video games too, Walter. Is you know they they trend they kind of transcend multi generational too. I mean, it's you know you said that you guys had parents taking their kids, and the parents were playing the games mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And I and that's something I still love seeing to this day. Like when I go to an oh arcade, my gosh. I love that is yes. seeing um seeing these parents bringing their kids to experience, yeah. you know and Arcades are not going anywhere. I mean, it, that's th- something that's going to be timeless. I don't think that even with and as, and as advanced as our technology is now, they're still around. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, going to play an arcade cabinet is is such a so much a fun aesthetic too. On, on top mm-hmm. of that, um, now I want to talk about some of your other work too. You uh, you do the you have the uh, the trading card. Let's talk about your trading cards. I, um, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah. Yeah, how did you get started with the uh, the video game trading cards when, when did that take off?
1: Oh, it was just some deep inner desire that popped up that I just had to run with I'm just so intrigued by it I tried to be, I tried to do trading cards back in 1983 but it just was not possible because the expense level was too high mm-hmm. and then I tried to do it again in 85 and the expense level was too high so it was right. a, it was a, it was a dormant desire that was real in right. 2011 I had the money to pull it off so I did it so I made a set of 200 cards and I loved it so much I thought we can't stop, we've got to keep going so uh, so do you guys have a logo? we do we can do a mm-hmm. trading card on your group
0: oh that would be great, we would love that uh, yeah, yeah absolutely we would, love a, we would love a trading card for the next level, that'd be cool that'd be really cool because well, we do have- a lot of gaming discussion here too
1: <laughs> what do you call your, your broadcast?
0: it's called the next level Okay. And I'll send you a logo. I'll
1: do okay. that. I'll send when, it to you I'll send first, it to you. Card. See, here's the thing. I respect what you're doing because you may not have thought of it this way, but you guys are essentially doing oral history. And oral history is important because yeah. tons and tons and tons of nuances and hidden sides to history would mm. be lost and forgotten, never recognized and never uncovered. If it wasn't for the many people doing oral history.
0: Thank you. We appreciate I really that. like that. Guys, so that's know. a really great take on it.
1: Mm. You realize or not, you guys are historians who are documenting the culture, the popular culture of our times. And everything you do, I hope, gets preserved so that it's passed on because it'll be meaning something to someone in the future when they meticulously they go over and index all your shows and find little glimmers and important gleaning important gems of history that had not been captured by anybody else. Right. So hopefully you guys are historians and Yay. I take my hat off you because it's a, a very Yay. noble cause that benefits future generations.
0: Well, we appreciate that, Walter. We, we thank you for that. I mean, I am all about, um, I love history anyway. Like in general, I talk about it a lot mm. and but for me, video game history is something that's very important to preserve. Um, and we've, we've talked about this on not just this show, but we've talked about this on the other show we did, too, the Dragon Cast. And for me, it's um, – I know they have, like, the video game history museum, and there's the foundation and things like that. And I think preservation is super important, especially for current and future generations – um, you know, we've we've mentioned about like um, I don't know how familiar you are with video game consoles, but you know, backwards compatibility, how that's super important, and things like that, so that people can still experience games in their truest form, um, as as we did when we were younger. So I think that's why it's important for the arcade arcades to always be accessible or be available, mm-hmm. and so that we can pass those on to the future and that way they can remain timeless like they should. And you're absolutely right. and I appreciate that, Walter, very much. We thank you so mm. much for, for, for saying that and referencing us that way. That means a lot to, to mm. us here.
1: The practice that I do in my life every day that kept me clear and having a high energy level and keeping the intelligence, hopefully as clear and as sharp as possible is because I you know I practice transcendental meditation, Yes, which is simply unbelievable. You sit down in a comfortable chair twice a day, close your eyes and for 20 minutes in the morning, then later 20 minutes in the late after your day's activities are over. uh, You do this mental technique. It turns out to be more than a mental technique. It actually affects your physiology and your brain structure and your heart and cardiovascular in a major, completely positive, healthifying way. And so I have to say that I, I, I talk about this all the time because I'm so impressed with the results of how it's kept me young and youthful and strong and clear and happy and blah, blah, blah. It's, <laughs> even, it's, even, include, it's even improved the blah, blah, blahs of life. Yeah. <laughs> and I know
2: you've been practicing that for quite a while. I know that last time we spoke, uh, when we, when we met in 2019, you had said that you actually travel to India. You try to go at least uh, twice a year is what I recall. Um, how long have you been practicing the Transcendental Meditation? Oh,
1: 52 years. No, fifty-two. Oh, that's
2: amazing.
1: Here's the thing. I was part of the drug cult through the 60s. I was what they called a hippie Yeah. Yes. Hair and, a beard and also big muscles. I used to bench for 310 pounds. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I used to be strong and young and long-haired and bearded and take drugs. And it really, really hurt me. LSD and marijuana really, really was bad for this, actually for everybody. It just, right. it just doesn't do right for the nervous system and mind at all. And I was left with depression and anxiety, couldn't sleep right, couldn't digest right, uh, had back pain, I had feet pain. Uh, all these things were going wrong. And I met someone who said, oh, I had the same I had the same problems and I learned transcendental meditation and all those problems went away. And so I got excited, went and learned it. Sure enough, within a couple of months, all the depression, the anxiety, the back pain, the foot pain, the sleeplessness, nights, the uh, indigestion problems, the headaches, eye aches, all that stuff went away because transcendental meditation triggers off what they call a hypometabolic a state of restful alertness in the body and mind, which is a unique force state of consciousness, different than anything you're experiencing every day right now. And when you're in that state, the alpha waves are increasing and all sorts of other incredible cardiovascular things happen. And you essentially throw out the deepest stresses in your physiology and your brain, and happiness and normalcy dawns again. Wow. Now,
2: what would you suggest to someone who is interested in learning more or starting transcendental meditation for themselves?
1: Good question. So you go online to a website called tm.org, and there's a big button that says, find me my lit, find me a local TM teacher. You click mm-hmm. on, and they'll have. Uh, they'll send you by email the address and phone number of your local TM teacher because there's a TM teacher in just about every year, every every area of the United States. And I'll tell you, it transforms your life. I mean, I'm 73 now, but I don't conduct myself like a 73 year old because transcendental meditation keeps me young and healthy and happy.
2: That's amazing.
1: Wow. Yeah, That's really- I
2: you before we started when we couldn't see the see you on video I had um, I was surprised like honestly in your voice you just sounded so energetic and spry and just you know I I know that probably sounds really bad but um no it definitely definitely works
0: yeah no I, that's definitely something I wanted to mention because mm-hmm. I know um that was one very unique aspect of when I first found out about you was, uh in the in the king of con documentary you mentioned that and you actually there's a part in that where you're practicing what 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 shows you practicing that i believe in that in that documentary don't quote me on that but i believe that and i just find that to be very interesting that 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 works for you and i'm a i'm a firm believer in whatever works for you um Mm -hmm. do it you know what i mean as long as it's good healthy a good healthy thing of
1: course um in the case of TM, it's not a theory, right. it's not a philosophy, it's actually something you do. Yeah. And no matter what you believe in the world of philosophy or what you believe in the world of religion or anything, anything else that's a belief, it doesn't matter. It functionally, mechanically works the same for each person and rejuvenates the physiology and the mind and just puts life back on track, happiness, high energy level. Your creativity soars, your intelligence gets sharp again, and all the things that don't like and make it a burden go away. That's what I mean. I know I could definitely Ooh. use a lot of that myself. You, you'd be very impressed. And it is near you. It is, there, there's a center in Louisville. Uh, there's a center in Bloomington, Indiana, which is probably what, three hours away? Yeah, yeah I that's think about that's two about, it's about two and a half hours from us. Mm-hmm.
2: Louisville is definitely closer. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. There's a center in Louisville. Jesus. That's fantastic.
0: Wow. Okay. Looking that. You're looking at that now, aren't you? Yeah, good. you should. Because that
2: was actually, I know video game stuff, but that was actually the biggest takeaway from when I met you back then. So I'm glad that you brought it up because I was going to ask you about it anyway.
0: So <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> That's amazing. So you're working on music. Do you have any other, before we go ahead and um, get, get uh, before we close the episode here, do you have any other projects you're working on outside of music or are you just, uh, are you still... Kind of just strictly doing music at the moment. Have you done anything else lately in the in the video game space?
1: Well, I still go to events. Like I'm going to the Free Play Florida in Orlando in a couple of days, and oh, I'll be nice. for a few days. And uh, I've been to Gen Con only once. I've been to Dragon Con only once. Um, I commonly go to the Pinball Expo in Chicago. So the main two things I'm doing is trading cards. I've designed almost 5,000 trading cards, oh. and and, wow uh, and our archivist has our archivist has about 3600 of them in his collection. oh wow so so essentially um, not quite four thousand are in print yet maybe about 3750 are in print so far so wow. a lot of trading cards wow.
2: that's so awesome I love that yeah, that's
1: amazing yeah and here's, and here's the music and it's the trading cards. That's amazing. amazing. My three loves.
0: That's awesome. I love it. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Walter, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show, the next level and thank all of you for watching our show. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, let me know in the comments below, if you know, if you've ever met Walter and uh, you'll share with us the experiences you had meeting him. He's such a fantastic human being. And very, if anybody's
1: interested in seeing all the trading cards, um, Right. The, the website the website's called the walterdaycollection.com
0: i was on there earlier <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we were checking that out earlier yeah
1: and uh there's thousands of the cards already posted on there and a couple thousand that aren't even posted yet because it's not oh. posted you, post them, you got around them.
0: that's amazing well we <laughs> hope to have our we hope to have our own trading card that'd be great man we would love yeah. that and well,
1: uh you have, you have to offer the back side of your card you have to write your bio the biography or the story of your group, your company, your your podcast, it has Absolutely. a hundred and fifty to two hundred words. So that's it, hundred and fifty to two hundred words, and then the, the, the graphic for the front, and we'll do a card.
0: That sounds great. That's great. That sounds great. We'll absolutely do that. Well, Walter, thank you so much again. We'll leave some. We'll leave those links in the description below, so you can go check out Walter Day uh, the WalterDayCollection.com, and on that website you can also learn all kinds of more information about Walter Day, his projects and things like that. There's uh, just tons of articles. There's a gallery. There is, uh, you know, uh, award ceremonies I'm looking at, things like that here as well. And uh, also, if, uh, if you want to uh, book him for an appearance as well, you can go to that website also. Other than that, thank you guys so much for watching us here on YouTube or if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many other podcast platforms. We do appreciate you for doing just that. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you, guys.
2: Peace.